0: Season 2 of the Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mack. Here at the Casting Light Podcast, we talk about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. You can find us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. This time on the show, we have David Arch, the multi-talented lighting director, lighting programmer, shows everywhere, Broadway, off-Broadway, on film, on television, and live in an arena near you. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. I don't feel like we can go into this without my mentioning that you programmed everyone's favorite show this season. Yeah, Hamilton. Yes. Were you, did you do the public? I did do long? the public,
1: uh, all by like two weeks of previews, so... So I was there, and then I had to go and do a, a TV show, and then I came back again and finished it. Excellent.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's really cool. I mean, the show looks great, I have to say. Thanks. It was a labour of love for everybody.
1: And I, and I think it was. Inter- it's an interesting story because I believe that it would not have looked the way it ended up if we hadn't have gone to the public.
0: It's, it's kind of amazing what a difference it makes when you have that first off Broadway production, or you know, you know, like the, that time to put it together.
1: What was interesting to was being an off Broadway in that situation. I would literally drop my son off in the morning to the, at the bus stop. I could come in, I grab a cup of coffee, and I and they'd be like, you know, I would walk in and they would let me in, turn on the rig, and I would have two hours before anyone else walked through the door that I could just sit there and play with the rig. It was an amazing time that I had to, that you just don't get. You know, you never get that time when on a Broadway because they're never going to give you two hours of dark time in the morning. You, yeah. just, you just don't get it. You have to fight. You have to fight very hard to get it. So I would walk in and they'd open it up and, you know, I'd have a list of of notes from the day before and I would then sit there and I would write some of the looks that you see were would come at, would come out of that. How would then you know come in at uh, after, say after coffee, and he would he I would run through this stuff with him, and he would go that's great that's great okay and then he had this not bank of stuff in that we'd done in the morning that he could pull from he'd go we'd get to the spot and we he'd be like that that thing that you did that that circular that came in that that would be great here, so that was it was just an indispensable time. You know that that you never get back on Broadway.
0: It's it's sort of interesting. And I've talk, spoken about this with some other guests that it, it seems like the way we do theater is almost designed to not give you any time to do theater. Right. It's it doesn't. There's no time to create anything. The
1: the, the time in general has shortened, and they're you they expect more, and the time is shortened. Basically, is what happened. as what had happened, um, and. Um, we were just talking before briefly when we came in about the ver- one of the very first shows I did was that ex- was that experience was was the antithesis to that. It was like you know everybody standing around wanting to to get a finished product, and I was like, well, why don't why don't we video it, and then we can come in in the morning and light to it. I mean, why do we need everybody sitting around when when you have this wonderful technology available to us? To do the video, and then we could—we don't need everybody on stage to light. But of course, that's not the way, you know. Everybody was used it's to the doing the way it's it. done. It wasn't the way it was done. They were like, and I, and and I was like, well, everybody else kind of does it that way. Why wouldn't you want to do it that way? And and at that time, it was you needed, and I'm am sure you still do to a degree. You need very, you need dispensation from whatever unions are involved for you to take the video. We needed to take video into a locked room. we needed to get permission from the stage manager. we needed to sign, basically sign our life away to have this tape. And um, it was one of the first sh- and one of the first shows that I did, well it was you know, the first show that I did, and uh, they were all like, they'd never done it that way. And I was like, well, why, why don't you do it that way? It makes so much more sense. Um, so uh, it was a battle. It was battle to do it, but I believe, it was worthwhile doing it's something that is standard nowadays there's not many shows that i do where we do not video runs rehearsals and then come in and work in the morning to tape it's we the shift from downtown on hamilton to uptown would not have gone as smoothly as it did if we did not have video of that performance and we we would come in ryan and i would come in in the morning run the, and run the tape from off, from downtown uh, and then basically relied we, we were lighting in the morning to video. I didn't think it would you know we had a, such a tight schedule I believe it was 10 days from from cast on stage to first preview.
0: my God <laughs> that was it that, so it was a for a show sure that, that, that that's that dense for a sure show that's
1: 36 numbers basically I, I tell people I often one of the first things I ask is to get a list of what's in the act you know it'll say, Book scene, book scene, production number. I'll be like, how big is the production number? Oh, it's an M1. Okay, that's not going to take too long. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you may get two large, three large production numbers, you know, and that's, and at a couple, you know, some book scenes and some, something that's in one. Uh, and so you, it doesn't take too long. And I looked at the one from Hamilton and it went like 36 songs. I'm like 36 sung through. I mean, it's just like, where's the book scenes? <laughs> there really isn't that's every other song is the book scene. It is a sung through book scene. Yeah. I mean there's very there's very little that is not sung through and, and as part of it, what they come number. So we were lighting basically thirty-six numbers. And then from downtown we shifted, uh, we changed we changed fixture types, we changed numbering, we changed so we but changed you, but you trim the- heights, we changed I had a show file with the but we went from scrollers to LED we went from VLs to Martin Vipers we changed the, the rig
0: around it's you know it's fortunate that with today's consoles it's a little bit easier than it used to be it is a little it is
1: thank, thank goodness um, but it still meant that with a 10 with that period of time we needed to come in and go hey, I think I had um, three days four days prior to cast on for st- that because I mean dry tech for that show is run the turntable I mean there's it's a unit yeah. set. So it wasn't like we had a large amount of time prior. So we, I think, we had three. I had three or four days, basically, to get that show. Try to get that show file up to running again. And uh, uh, I think I got probably to end Act One by the time we hit cast on stage. And then we were still back. We, luckily, we did it. I mean, we we by the time they caught. By the time they got to you know, time we finished they were like only a day behind so that we they never had to wait for us that's
0: great which was great you can look at a show when you're watching it and you can see how clean the programming is you know you know you'll see bad marks you'll see strange moving black things that aren't supposed to be there or you won't see any of that and it's just super clean and and that's you know and and i think it's testament to your ability that that's that's kind of show hamilton is
1: well i hope so i mean it was it was a As I said, it was a labor of love, and it was like... A lot of people have have said that... have have used the term perfect storm for (laughs) that show, but I really believe it was. I believe believe it was all the right people in the right place at the right time. I mean, we all... There was a, a good camaraderie in the room because everybody had done shows before together. Hal and I have a great working relationship ryan Agara, the associate and i get along very well and we have a good working relationship you know tommy we'd all work with tommy kalb for the director and andy blackenmuller and the choreographer so it was a everybody had a rapport in the room which is a good thing
0: so and, I, I'd, I'd like to hear about how your relationship with howell started but you know, actually i'd like to hear the beginnings for you how did you end up programming all over the world and on all these huge productions
1: as a lighting designer in australia which is where i grew up um in Australia I grew up in Queensland northern Australia um, lighting Australian bands in the 80s um, and managed to make my way over here on with a, an Australian band called ice house in the late 80s um, and as a working LD you needed to do be able to do everything you needed to be able to run the crew run the board and you know so, so the American lighting company at the time that I was, that we'd hide light, I got our lights through, was like, if you ever, you know, feel like coming to America, we could use you. Um,
0: would you mind saying what company it was?
1: It was at the time called the Obi company. Oh, okay. Out of California. And one day I got a call from them. I, I, I was in LA and they were like, you know, weird, um, we've got these lights called the Telescan, and we would like you to come in and train on the console so we could send you out as programmer tech and I was like great I came down and it was a French fixture uh, with a, an Israeli board Compulite made a basically Compulite made a board for the French <laughs> it was an interesting combination put it that way this, these telescans were basically like a fr- refrigerator with a, a light bulb I mean they're huge <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and so we got, I got trained on how to tech the light I got trained on how to program the console and then they would send me out on these as LD slash programmer slash. It was an interesting time because I believed that I could... There was no term back then per se, a, a programmer. Yeah, I didn't know that term. So the company, got. A, I got a call from them to say, would you like to go out years later and program for Peter Morse? He's doing Madonna. Oh. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. And you know, um, why, why could I... Sure. Um, walked into the room, met Peter, you know... And we sat down and one of the first things he said was, okay, I need, I need a, you know, take these lights, make, do a splash chase. Uh, and I just was like, what? What's this, what do you mean? And it, Peter has, has a language and he would say splash chase. He would say, he would use another one, which would, I need kind of a pickup sticks. Or I would need, you know, and he would use his fingers and he would like fan his fingers in like this. He, there was a total like vocabulary that he used that I totally had no idea I figured as a programmer he would tell me what to do you know and he was telling me what to do but it was a vocabulary that I had no idea so I I learned the hard way that there is a difference between someone that can program for themselves and someone that can program for somebody else Um, and I did go out on, you know, the tour went out and, and, and you know, it was successful. And I ran that, the the telescans on that. There was a Morpheus crew that ran the Morpheus end of it and telescans, Peter was the overall designer, but it was two of us running running two different consoles. Um, but I've, I vowed at the end of that, if I ever did that again, that I, I would come into it better prepared because I, I was not prepared to sit next to somebody and in that position doing it yourself and then as i said and doing it for someone else was a totally different vibe
0: and, and this was sort of the time when that sort of workflow was being figured out right
1: right it wasn't i mean there was there's a morpheus there was very light that you know the morpheus guys did the did the morpheus command consoles the very light did the very light consoles and then you kind of had this weird gray area of the guys at that time um as i said there were, it was even pre-hog so there wasn't even a there may have been a hog one was kind of around but,
0: but we there, were there using this, very many of those
1: no there weren't very many and so we were using this proprietary compu like console with the telescans um so they ended up bringing it was one of they bring it up bringing i don't know if you've met um, a great lighting designer programmer called um, I, I don't know, I don't know. Arnold was, um, was in the shop at the time for Obi and uh, he was basically there to take care of consoles and he would play all day on the console and basically if he could come up with something new you would like bring uh, call, in, call in all of the programmers and say, look, this is cool, watch this. How Look at what I can do with this. So There was a great tr- training ground for everybody that was involved with Obi at the time. And um after after that experience they called me in one time and said, Look, well, we've got this new console called the the Hog Two. We'd like you to to go and do I believe the first time I used it was the Olympic Games in Atlanta. It was Willie Williams was doing the Trabant the man himself car gay for a car man for one of the the um pavilions where they he did this whole ballet with the trabants on on lifts and we lit it with lights and with this whole area uh, but basically they sent me down a week prior with the hog two in a box and a manual uh I, again I mean like trial by fire and again it was like one of those if I ever <laughs> you know if I ever do this again because I figured you know I, I was like I have to have a better understanding, you know what I mean, of the console, of what's involved. Because I don't think I'd ever do, I mean, to to sit with, to believe that I could come out at the end of two or three days of just reading the manual and and programs, I think it was a little arrogant.
0: Well, so that takes us to 96, then what happened? That's around the same time you did your first Broadway show, right?
1: It was, I got, uh, it was. And because of that connection, I I did get a call to come and do a Broadway show. so The Life was your first Broadway show, right? It wasn't my... It really, it really wasn't mine from the beginning. It was a situation where there was another programmer involved and I kind of stepped in. It, it was my...
0: Your my, first my, time on Broadway. My first time on Broadway. And your first, like, actual Broadway show that you did from start to finish was...
1: Was The Rocky Horror Show.
0: And you got into that because you had some rock and roll background, right?
1: Right. At the time, I believe I got the... There was the call went out, basically, that Paul Gallo was doing The Rocky Horror Show... And uh, they were asking for someone with rock and roll experience. They thought that he would need somebody that had this rock and roll edge that he wanted to give to that, to that show. Um, so I believe that a few people around had said, well, you should call David Arch. I was, again, nobody on Broadway would, would have known who I was at that time. Um, so I think, believe it was just a, you know, enough people saying my name at the same time that they were like, okay, we should give him a, this guy a call. Um, so I did go and I did go do it. It was a very interesting experience, as I said, it was an eye opener for me. I was a little bewildered by what was going on and the procedures and, and how they do things. And I was, and um, it was a great experience. It was a great experience. But I was like, at the end of it, I, to, to, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to do this again. I was lucky enough to make a um, acquaintance with Philip Rosenberg, who we often called the Mayor of Broadway, and. Uh, he called me and was like, you've got to come and do 42nd Street. And I was like, no, I'm like, I'm not gonna, no, I think I've had my, sh- my my fair share. And he's like, no, it'll be different. You'll see. And, uh, and I, at the time I was looking for, a, for what I thought would be um, another line of work that would keep me in town. My wife and I were looking to have start a family and I was like, yeah, okay, we'll try this Broadway thing. Um, but no, it was a great experience. We did have a great time on it and um, Philip introduced me to a lot of wonderful designers and uh, I've had the pleasure of working with some of the best over the last, uh, God, has it really been 20 years? From that 15 years, <laughs> I think 15, <laughs> I do I say 20. It is it, 20. It's 20. <laughs> it's
0: 20.
1: <laughs> um, so it, it was, has been a, a wonderful journey and a wonderful learning curve because there really wasn't a wealth of a wealth of experience, a wealth of talent out there that had that had done it before. I mean, really, we're talking you know a handful of shows prior that had used moving lights. Back in that, you know, we really was the beginning of that impetus of putting a large amount, mm-hmm. six, you know, 60 moving lights on a Broadway show. Nowadays, it's there wouldn't probably isn't a, you know many Broadway shows that don't have moving lights. Now it went from 60. Now it's probably 120.
0: Um, and it's worth noting that before that, generally, if you had moving lights, they were going to be lights. they were going to be on the light console, and Verilite was going to be taking care of it. And right. this was the start of... This
1: was the start of taking, taking that away because it was Hog 2. Um, it was still a Hog 2 Obsession, you know, Obsession for conventional and scrollers, you know, and the Hog running the moving lights. Um, it's interesting, over the course of the, the last few years, the transition to one console... Has, has been great I have I mean people are like don't you miss having someone running conventions? And I'm like no I I, I always found it frustrating that I couldn't grab a conventional channel or, or th- you know what I mean because yeah. it's part of that tool bag if, if the designer is stretching for something and he's looking for an idea all I've got is this one this, this little box of tricks whereas there's as long as you're keeping your eyes open, He's got a whole other box of tricks that I didn't have access to, so I was no way could I could help him. And I sat and um, I was, had the pleasure of of doing um, of coming in behind um, Vic on um, Billy Elliot, and she had this. She was the associate slash programmer, and she, she would Who? Sit, uh, Vic Schmedin was an it uh, uh, was her name, um, very very talented um, associate programmer. Uh, on a strand strand console, and um, I she had to go. She basically had to go back to London, and so I was brought in to cover a period of time behind her. And I sat for like a week watching Vic and Rick Fisher's dynamic because she she sat literally right beside him. She had the the strand console. He sat beside her, and they just had this rapport backwards and forwards. Because as associate slash programmer, she had. This is their third time in doing it. But so she had that, the channels in her head. She didn't need to look at a sheet. She knew what was going on. He would go, what about? And she'd be like, yeah, yeah. And and before he could finish his thought, she was punching the buttons and she was bringing it up. And I was like, so envious of that relationship because you just don't get that one-to-one I'd never seen that before. It just never doesn't happen on Broadway. You have, as I said, because the designer's talking to two different people. He's running, you know, he's, he's talking to one guy about the scroll, as in he's going page up, page down, next, last, to find somewhere to mark the scroll while well, I'm trying to, to clean up marks on the, the moving light console. So there was never that, this wonderful relationship that they had, and I was so, I remember at the time being so envious of it, and luckily now it basically has come to a degree around to that where basically i can sit not necessarily next to i mean it could happen that way i suppose if i put myself in that position but i can be within a few feet of of the of the design you know what i mean we can have associate program and we can have that you know the pro consoles to a degree have come down in size thinking some of them are large, nice, but they have not taking up too much real estate, you know, you could all be in within an area of each other and have that, that feedback that, and have that ability without having, as soon as you put that extra person in the loop, I believe, you know what I mean? It kind of slowed. Absolutely. It slowed that process down.
0: That's a Um, good point. The only multi-programmer situations I've been in have been where somebody else is programming something that's very much its own thing. I don't, I hadn't thought about, well, if you have your system broken up into different consoles, then it's it's tough for you to kind of get a picture yourself right. of, of what you're trying to do.
1: Well, it used to be hog two when it was when it was hog twos and that you would have one hog to run the wash, one hog to run the spots, um, and we had two programmers, which was again, which was great because you would have you know say it was. Peter Morse, I would be myself on, say, The Wash Lights on, on, that, on I think, one of the last McDonald tours we did together, and it was Arnold Sarami running the Spot Fiction, and he was going out as the lighting director. So you had the three of us all sitting there, and we were all talking, and we were all interacting. And and that's one in, one way to, of it, but that's that's not in the theatre environment. That's To me, that's a different environment altogether. I think now with the theatre environment and, and putting it all onto one console... The consoles handle like functionality so much quicker now you know we've, with the, the marking i'm talking more probably talking about marking in general i don't have to spend the time that i did say 10 years ago worrying about something being marked as clean with these with the consoles nowadays um so i i can handle all of that that you know there's not a problem of you know, even if, if, if I'm, even if I'm getting the direction of channels one through, through 50, put in blah, 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 you know what I mean? Down to that data level entry, I can still be doing that and do the moving lights at the same time. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't slow me down. Yeah. I think 10, 20, 10, 15 years ago, they were worried that you would, you would slow down so you needed the two people. I, I'm not too worried about in the, in the moment making it clean. And I do explain that I will say to the designers, I'm like, you might see something that's not pretty, but just know that come the next run through, it will be pretty. And I believe that that is that that was something that wasn't acceptable, say ten years ago. It had to be, it had to be a finished product straight away.
0: Don't show it to me until it's done. I
1: don't show me until it's done. Um, it comes down to the old school of where everybody used to sit around. It doesn't happen so much anymore, and they would say everybody happy with this look. <laughs> and, they, and the designer would turn to the choreographer, turn to the director, turn to the, the, um, the scenic designer and say, are we all happy? Great, store Q1. Bring in the... Okay, next. <laughs> I mean, we're so far from that nowadays, unfortunately, in, to a degree. You know what I mean? The speed has overtaken the need for that kind of group commitment to the project uh I, you know I was lucky enough to see that that in that 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 process but I uh, it's not that they don't do it nowadays but nowadays there's as you know there is such a short amount of time that with that they're given with cast on stage that we tend it tends to be a process of let's get something in there um let's get something in there and then we'll come back and we'll make it better uh some, some directors still don't work that way but a lot of directors are found over the they, they want to get a product out there because the, they know they've got a short amount of time and they know that basically we will come back and fix it and I, but that comes back to the whole issue of again we talked about of, of, to me of, of, of video without that, that ability we can go in and say to them you know what this, isn't, this is not going to be exactly how, as it looks we want will, to we will make this better let's just move on let's move on if you wanted to light a three, four-minute production number well, and and never come back to it, you could probably you could you know it could be a morning. Yeah, it could be you're probably going to take you three to four yeah, hours exactly. to do. It. You don't get three to four hours to light it, but very much and nowadays, you know, they just don't want to give you the time, um, for for better or for worse. That's just the way it is. So basically, you end up coming in in the mornings and doing and, and then and then and then lighting not is it ideal no it's not ideal um brings me to a what another point which i which was um, on a recent show we did on your feet, we used previous to light a lot of the production numbers and i was like we need to do this this is this is a tool that broadway could use um could be would it work for a general book scenes but but not probably not so much um but given the music, given the knowledge of what the, the stage was going to be, that was a perfect example of, you know, Kim Postner saying, yes, this is a great idea and, and coming to bat for us to do it. And um, we pre vised for um, just over a week um, and pre-lit, like, you know, uh, the opening, whole opening sequence, and a, I think maybe even two other small sequences uh, before we even got into the theatre. We'd never have gotten that level of. Uh, I think Ken well, quotes in an article that I read the other day something like 1,200 cues that we did for that. You know, we'd never written could have written 1,200 cues in the amount of time given if we hadn't have done. We did probably three to four hundred of them in 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 uh, in offline in previs.
0: Now, did you use uh, previs at any point after that? After you were in the theater, we did. We, it we seems almost like that's more important.
1: We did. It was that was a great start. I mean, it was a, a lot of that turned out to be pretty close to what you what you see. Um, it turned out that when we got into there, we the added a, I want to say, ten minute mega mix at the end of the show, and uh, you know, it, we I said to Ken, we really need to get the <laughs> the previs back in, uh, back in, and what would happen would basically we would check during the day, and then. As in previews, I would go, we were out of town, uh, I would go into the basement with a, the previs and a console and, and, and pre-light with the, with the associate. And we did that for a week. We basically, we, we would, um, Anthony Pearson and myself, would basically, we, we would light, We'd, as much as we could and then we'd we, you know Ken would, would 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 come would come in we'd, we'd take the disk we'd run upstairs at the end of the show because we had like a half hour window from when the show went down to when they had to turn every, all the power off so we throw it throw it in load it in run it look at it go oh that looks nothing like it <laughs> <laughs> or some sums we went that was, that looked great um, and they were like okay okay Next day, go back down. And we we kept on adding a little bit, a little bit more in the, uh, every day until by the end of I believe it was like a week, we had um, the 10 minute mega mix done at the uh, without any cast on stage time. So,
0: okay. so tell me about the job, not not how everyone else does it or how people think of it. How, tell me about how you do it. Do you do television and concerts yeah. and, and Broadway, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And I want to get a little more specific with each of those independently too, but. What do you see the job of programmer as, and how do you do that job? I believe, anyway,
1: that the program the programmer job varies obviously between genre to a degree, but you're still at the end of the day trying to take the the image or the concept or the ideas of the person that's sitting next to you, that being the the lighting designer, and put his vision out there. I mean, it was like it's, I want, I want to say it's. It's more than button pushing, is what I would say. If there was someone that said, "What well, you know, what is a program? You know, I want to be a programmer. I'm like, yes, I'm like, you can learn how to push the buttons. But there's a level of, there's a level of technique of then taking what that person is saying and then transposing it and making it happen for him. Um, so I, I I like that challenge. I like being able to to take an idea and, and make it make it work for them. Um, I try to, to get an understanding of, of each designer that I work for because everyone has their own aesthetic. And I believe that as a programmer, your job is not to impose your aesthetic. I believe that's very important. I believe you need to get to know the designer and then get to know his work, get to know what he, how he works, how he, how he sees things. Because if you start imposing your, your, your aesthetic, then it's not, then then it's never going to work. It's never going to, it's never going to be a, a, the right relationship. Um, and, and knowing you, knowing when to come up with the right idea <laughs> is, is a big part of it. And, um, you know,
0: would you say it's fair to say that generally, the, your first time out with any given designer, you probably don't want to come offer up any ideas unless they ask for them?
1: I I may have said that ten years ago or more. I mean, it's that's an that's something I have thought about. You need to have that conversation. You need to be able to come in with a, and have a with having had a conversation with the designer and have an idea of, of what the relationship is going to be. I I truly believe that that how you you can't sit beside that person or come up and be there in that chair cold i i think it's without having some idea i mean of what they expect i i do make the time even 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 now working with the, these design you know working with Howell or working with ken or any the, they I sit down with them and they sit down with me and we talk. But prior to it, you know we have and I have wonderful working relationships with these designers, but we will always sit down first and talk about what we're what the vision is. Where is this going? What are we What are we trying to achieve? That that is that that is invaluable before you go in. So I th- I don't think that um that if I was going to come up do a show with a new designer that I, I could do it cold. You know what I mean with that you could just walk into the room, sit down, and expect it to happen. I mean, I, I don't think I would do that. I wouldn't do it that way. Um, I, I, I believe now that you know, I, I could tell that if there's a, design, a designer is in a position where he's hit a, bl- a block. You know, you're at the tenth, twelfth hour mm-hmm. of the day. He, you, and they always, as it tends to be, ten o'clock at night largest production number of the of the show is gonna it's that's when it's gonna <laughs> that's when it's gonna happen and and at that point you know everybody's gonna everybody hits a block um they could be in a flow something distraction and your job can be to get them out of that is to go well how about that what about this that's part of the, that's part of the gig being being able to tell when they're in that funk um and that works for broadway Air i mean I, you know we'd be all doing our all-nighters in the rock and roll world because we tend to work from eight and eight in the evening to eight in the morning um you know we hit that two or three o'clock in the morning and sometimes we just have to say to the designer just walk out of the room that you know get some fresh air and come back because that's invaluable too sometimes unfortunately you don't get that in the broadway end of the world where you don't have that luxury of saying let's everybody just stop for a minute everybody walk out of the room and come back in because there's, there's nothing like coming back in with clear eyes, with clear, the clear vision, because we all get so f- focused in what we're doing that I, sometimes I really believe that it's better to sometimes, you know, walk away, walk away, walk out of the room, come back in and you're going to, you're going to see it different. That's um, so true. But Hal, Hal is the master of that. He's one of the few that will do that. He won't watch every show. He, he, he is adamant that he's like he needs to come and see it with with a clear clear mind you know what i mean he's like i don't want to you know what i mean and that's and that's that to me that's that that's that right way of thinking about it because we all get so so too close to it sometimes and i feel like saying you know yeah step back walk outside come back in again and we'll all start again and at that point that gives us a few minutes as programmers then to to collect ourselves as well you know, they can walk away. You can go, what was he trying to do? Where are they trying to go? Try to come up with an idea. And then so they walk back in. They can, they can go, maybe you can offer them something. or If they don't want something, you, you can let them come up with it. But it's knowing, I think that, that little give and take relationship is very important, um, if that answers your question. Uh-huh. It Some,
0: does. So it's even more organic than you might think the first time you work with them you you need to already have a relationship of some kind you need to have have, have made some determinations you need to have talked to each other and seen each other and, and been with each other for at least a little while
1: i believe so i believe that i believe that's important i believe that part of that process is is getting to know the person that you're working with I, you know whether that be um you know Let's face it. We're in the we're in the room together, twelve hours, fourteen hours a day, in the, especially in the theatre world, for months, uh, months at a time. Um, whether that's going out to lunch, going out to dinner, going out, you're out of town, going out for a, you know for a few drinks, but you, having a having a relationship outside of the of that theatre can can be a can be a plus. I definitely I definitely see that. I I believe it. Early on, I probably would have said no to that. I probably would have said, "You know what? You do your job. You go back. You you, you try to 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 make the two very distinct things." Um, I believe it's it's not so clear cut. No.
0: So then, let's talk about the difference between these things. Working in live concerts. No, I, I know. Yeah. I know live concerts were a very different animal back when you first started doing yeah. it. But you still do that now.
1: I I do not to the extent. Um, I really have no desire to, you know, sleep on a bus again, (laughs) you know, um, Peter, I I was lucky enough that he asked me, you know, to go out and, um, be lighting director and programmer for the last Robert Streisand tour. And, um, doing Streisand was kind of up to my speed. As far as that goes, she would do multiple nights in one city. It was, you know, there was no there was no buses involved. Nice. Uh, there was you know airplanes multi city. It was it was a I, you know it was a nice way to tour, put it that way. I would go, you know, I'll go out and do that.
0: But on, I still on, enjoy
1: programming music.
0: Yeah. On on the, on the show creation side, on yeah. you know on the on the programming and the cue creation side. Tell me about the differences and the similarities between that and theater. It's
1: it, it's similar in it, to a degree. It's more it's probably gotten more similar over the just over the last few years i have to say because it comes down to that what we're just talking about of the role of the you know of now one console um tends to be on in the rock and roll world nowadays it's all it's one console again gone are the days of two programmers two consoles you don't need that anymore you can you know it can be just the one the one-on-one so in that respect, there is the similarities. I see the similarity. Um, there is the different dynamic of the room. let's face it when you're doing you know a music event and it's just you and the designer for twelve hours ten hours in a darkened room you know with a with a large with a rig it's a different dynamic than sitting in a in a theater with 120, you know, people all around. It's just, it just is because it, the there's, a, there's, I don't know, I want to say less pressure, but it's probably more pressure in a Broadway world to Producers is a good word. You need to, you need to be on your game straight away. And it's so funny because the, the rock and roll, anyone outside of the theatre world looks at what the process is and goes, how could it take so long? They look at us and go, you've got how long? do what they don't they don't understand they don't understand how it could take so long um and as i said unless you've been in that chair and i say you know i I put that i put that out there to a lot of people and i say whether it be the programmer chair or the designer chair until you've sat in that chair you have no idea you know what i mean it could you could be sitting and we could and you know we could sit for four hours and and all of a sudden then you've got to produce you know you know it could be it could be four hours of them staging something and what you know and we're sitting in one queue and you could come back holding for it for for an hour then you come back and they're staging a book scene and you and you know what i mean and all of a sudden two or three hours go by and you maybe only have written a handful of cues but then all of a sudden they're like okay we're moving on and it is the and all of a sudden you've got the largest production number of the show and it's 10 o'clock at night and you've got to write x number of cues very quickly Efficiently, and nobody wants to wait. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a whole different dyna- to, to me dynamic of sitting in the chair on Broadway and sitting on the chair uh, in, in the music world because it could, you know, there is there is there is no team of people around you. You may then, you know, once once you've once you've got it in the can, then okay, we're showing it to the choreographers and the and the talent and everybody, and that's 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 different. Then you're editing. There, you know, there isn't that that luxury in theater you know if you do an industrial it's or or' say a live um, a live TV show it's one shot you're done you've there is no going back and going you know what that light over there the one that's that shade of blue we don't quite like that shade of blue it's gone it's times done you don't get a second shot at it
0: well and you mentioned television I know you, you programmed some of the the biggest tv shows around uh you know like yeah. iron chef i mean that's <laughs> where i finally ran into you was when you were programming on iron chef, iron chef. Yeah. and uh i didn't know i didn't know you also programmed millionaire
1: millionaire i did it was quite a it was one of my first forays into into the tv world and um i was given a plot and i was given a, it was a version of the british show and I basically i had to then come up with the structure I had to come up with the basically transfer make their looks work for what we were doing and i remember sitting there and, and i was like watching watching watch what they did in london because it was a london transfer it was that the lights would all be up in one queue you know and they obviously had got, taken a break and cut and cut and then the next time they're back the lights are down you know what i mean And i'd be like to deke who was the the ld i'm like we can't just get from here to here they must have had a stop down here they must have done a you know cut a commercial here they must have it was, it was a great process to do, to do. And it was early, early on um, when, let's face it, there, there wasn't the, the voices, you know what I mean? There wasn't the American idols. I mean, I watch The Voice now and I just go, the, the technology on that show is mind-blowing, what those guys do on a day-to-day basis in that, in that studio. Um, but back, back, back then it was, I want to say, 24 VL6s, you know, um, some VL-5s under the floor. Um, very, very,
0: very low-key. Oh, don't worry. We recognize the Gobos, we know. <laughs> the
1: Pebble Gobo. Yes.
0: Uh, of course. That's <laughs> everybody's favorite. You know,
1: uh, and everybody used to comment on it. It was like there was that moment of, you know, they did that what they called the Descend. And it went through this very, you know, it was almost like a time where it was like everybody wanted that. but da da you know, and the lights would come down and the, the music would get dark and the the, the VL6s would fly you know, flip. It was, a, it was an iconic, an iconic moment. I mean, Paul Gallo used to introduce me as that millionaire guy. <laughs> i'm like really please i'd rather be known for something else other than the millionaire guy but it was it was what it was it was sort of, of like that was that's one cue yeah <laughs> no but it, but it was crazy for a long, for the for a long for the longest time you would do you know there would be industrials and they'd be like well oh, we want the millionaire queue. and well, what is the millionaire queue? well it's basically you know it's a descend it's a it's a lights the lights come on they, they come down it's basically you know, multi-part time to a degree and then, and then, and they fade out. I mean, back in, and it was even back early on where the, um, you know, occasionally those sixes would hit, they hit their stop and then they're like, they'd give that little shake, (laughs) you know? And we tried to ramp them, ramp them down so you didn't, they didn't shake so much. And then we'd get, you know, there'd be people on, on the light network back then where there was a, people would go, we'd go crazy and like, did you see? You know, I'm like, really please. That's that's really what we're going to talk about. But yeah, <laughs> but that but that was it back then. I mean, there wasn't that level of technology on 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 shows. That was one of the first that put that many moving lights on a prime time TV show. Now, as I said, I look at the voice now and I look at that rig and I go, see how that's that gives an indication of how far we've come in in a short amount of time. Early on in New York, there was probably a handful of programmers and we used to get together and uh and we tried to get together once a month um and we would get we would meet uh, at a pub and it was a good to get to know you period of time because uh, at that point when you've only got say five or six people and everybody's referring each other um the only way I believe you can truly refer someone, other than, than than seeing and getting to know them and getting to watch their sh- you know what they do. But you need to get to know them. I mean, we, and we did. We would all get together and we would have you know a few drinks, and we felt then that it was a camaraderie, and we uh, we all we all knew what each other was was up to, what we were doing, what shows were doing, what our capabilities were. Um, I think it was an important thing to do because. We were the first of that of the kind, so there was no precursor. There was nothing for us to go by as far as what rates to charge, what... We had no one before us, so we were, we were writing, writing our own contracts to that degree. We were writing our own... So by getting together and talking, it really helped everybody, because we would say, well, what, what did you do for that? You know, did you, did, you, did you write a contract for that? How was your contract for that? What did, you know, we weren't afraid, and we weren't afraid to talk money. Mm-hmm. Too. I uh, and nowadays it's a little bit. Everyone, no one really wants to talk about it. But we we got together and we did say, well, oh, I charged this much for the, you. Got, you did. You, you managed to get that, yeah. Well, and then we would we say, well, maybe we could charge that much money. Um, well, how much money? What did you do? Did you do overtime? Did you do overtime? You know what I mean? It yeah, was yeah. like really important for us to do that. Um, and we we're very lucky. I believe that we're. I, we're all, we all still do communicate and um you know that there's, there's myself Laura Frank Tim Rogers Steve Garner um there was I'm just trying and I am Rod McLaughlin um, there was a, quite a few of us that that would call each other up and say you know and talk about stuff you know well, I'm gonna go do this show what did you you've done this before what did you do so that was a very, I think, uh, I think it was an important thing. And a lot of people were like very envious of it. Like a lot of the, the sound associates and the sound people were like, we're so envious that you guys talk to each other. Designers don't particularly do it very I mean, a few of them do, What I've, what I've learned over the years is definitely they do talk to each other early on. We thought they didn't, but they do, <laughs> they, they, they do, and they do know what's going on, um, but we, we thought that was a really important thing to do. It's at the stage, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of programming and there's a lot of programmers now, nowadays. I feel that um, there wasn't the schools, there wasn't the, you know, ETC has done a wonderful job in, in, in getting their product to, into that market and to the schools. And so there's, there's this wonderful influx of, of people that are amazing, that they're coming out as amazing. And they call themselves, and I don't, don't wanna say programmers, but they can program. And it comes down to our discussion of, yes, you can program, yes, you can program, yes, you can punch the buttons, but at a certain point, there's, as we were just discussing, there is more to the job than just punching the buttons. I, I personally don't believe that I'm, I'm not the best button pusher that there is. I'm like, if you want a button pusher, I'll do it, but get someone that's, there's a lot of people much better at pushing the button. If you want to command line like me, I'll do it, but. Um, I'd rather talk in concepts. I believe that that's something that has changed. It used to be, you know, you would get command lighted. You would, you say, you put that light down you know, in this position and in red. In this, you know what I mean. Nowadays, we tend to talk a little more in concepts, which is great. You know, I, I need this. I need this idea, and, and it's so much easier to talk in concepts. I believe than it, than 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 it is in numbers. So, um, and I, I believe that we have to thank a lot of the, we have to thank the British designers personally. I mean, that's, I think the influx of British designers has changed the, the face of the Broadway, how Broadway designers do their business because the, the British designers will talk in concepts, you know. Brian McDevitt used to come and would give me a book. It was, I'll never forget it. We were doing Color Purple and Brian gave, literally handed me a, a folio of images. So that when we, when we got into it, he was like, okay, I need a sunset. And I really had this in mind. And can you look, turn to page four and look at that. it was like this beautiful Serengeti sunset, very sleek, thin clouds with the sun. You know what I mean? And you just go, oh my God, of course. I got a, You knew exactly where he was heading. You know, he didn't need, he didn't need words because he gave you the vision. So... To me, it's either that—that that was such an invaluable concept, having that, or being able to sit there and say, you know, this is my vision. This is what I I see here. I really would like this idea. I get it. That how works in concepts in that way. You know what I mean? Um, a lot. So I, he they, that way, they can let me take take what I've got, that basket of of tricks, and go. Ah, okay. I think this would work. What do you think of that? Yeah, I like that, but what about if you took that and changed that and made, you know what I mean? So, yeah. that, to me, that's so much better than being set into that rigid, take Channel 5, put it down right, put it at 50%. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm happy to do it, <laughs> but I, I would not be much happier if you could talk to me in, in that inner concept.
0: Tell me about transferring shows to tour. You know, if, you, if you've ended up somehow with 500 different focus positions, then what? Uh, well, this is a this
1: is an interesting topic. A lot of the times, you will go into it, take a Broadway production, and let's face it, you can have it's un, you can have unlimited number of focuses because you don't, you can you could take one light, call it chair down right. You could take one light, call it off chair. You know what I mean? You can get crazy. It used to be that I believed that I needed to put a preset for every light in every position so that. I could see on the screen so that when, you know, the designer went, I, uh, the light that's hitting the, you know, the lights are hitting through the window, make it blue. Now, if I have 120 lights in the rig called scene one, I'm, I'm is how are you going to remember what that light was? Because let's face it, you teched it two months ago and now you're getting back to that scene and he wants to change that light through the window and it's behind a drop and you can't see the light. So I, I got into the habit of labeling everything. Uh, I tend to be a little less anal about that nowadays. Nowadays, you know, I, I, because for whatever reason, it, I don't need, I, you know, I, I don't feel I need that many. Um, but I think for, to get to your point is that, okay, say we have 300 focuses, I could and it's about it's a point of contention with me is where you go on tour and they're like oh you've got it you've got to get it down to 60 I'm like I can get it down to as many as you want because I could call it all one thing still doesn't matter you still got it it's a matter of how many lights pointing in what direction it doesn't matter how many pre- what you what you call it or how many presets it's still a matter of how many lights you've got to touch every day so you know if you've got a you know a, you know 60 lights and they're in every scene, and, and and they're pointing somewhere different. You've still got to theoretically touch each light. So if I take the sixty lights and I call it scene one, okay, and we've got say you know six, twelve scenes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's like I can get it down to to one per say one per scene. But does that does that help the guy that's running? That's that's going to to end up. Putting, having to reproduce that every day because to me that's that's the key to touring it's like the one that guy whose job is to maintain that show when he's on his first day if you if you haven't done it well he is not going to get to every light and you know he's not going to get to every light but you your job is to try to get it as clean as possible to make it so that he can hopefully get maybe by the end of the second day that show clean because I've you know I've I've been there. It's like it's 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 very it's hard to do, um, and if you've and if you haven't done it right, you've made the poor lives of that guy out there on tour life's hell. Um, so I don't believe it's about number. Um, I think it's a lot about is about docu- is about documentation and how you do it. You know, it used to be yeah, you could try to replicate as many focuses as you can. You know what I mean? I will be more aware of that. Um, when I'm when I'm doing a tour, you know, half a dozen, twenty different sidelight focuses for a Broadway show, and it really doesn't matter if the one's tweaked slightly on stage, downstage, offstage. On the tour, hopefully, you can get away with one, um, one or two. Uh, sometimes, if the designers out there, they don't want that; they want their Broadway show, and that's a, that's a whole other beast. When you're not going to carry that front of house package. there is a battle there is a battle there and um between what you can tour and what this as i said what the crew can get up and and going in a day it's an interesting challenge and i think with the paperwork and as i said with the, the programs nowadays available to us i think hopefully that we can we can get that show to look pretty damn good every night a conversation more for one of the guys who is out there running, running, running this, but I do try to get the feedback. Every time I go out and visit or I, I meet some of these road guys, I'm like, look, this, this information is for you. You need to tell us what you need. Um, you know, we understand it's not maybe for you, but it might be for your replacement. I mean, they go through, you know what I mean? Very unusual to find someone who's going to stick it for three years or whatever it is for a first national. Maybe some guys do, but I'm more worried about, the next guy on the yep. next guy his replacement because without the right paperwork without the right information that guy his life isn't is not going to be is not going to be easy he's not going to be able to maintain that and you know once you get as we all you know anybody that's done touring you know after the first week after the we have the second or third stop you're in that routine you've got an idea you know what it's going to look like but it's those first couple of shows that that's when you have to have that paperwork back up that's when you need the the right program, the right pitches, the right—you know—you can't just call up. Uh, I, although I tell them, I say, "Call me anytime if you want. Um, if you have any questions, I mean." But I try to get the feedback from from those guys because, to me, that's what the paperwork is all about. The Broadway guys, again, they sit on—they the, tend to be sitting on the show for a long period of time. They get to know the show. Often they will call and say, "You know, I'm having something doesn't look quite right. Can you come in and have a look at it?" Often it's not so much them as the as the fixtures are hitting an age and I, and that comes down to, you know, hopefully if you've programmed it, haven't got a lot of excess movement and excess stuff, you know what I mean? Like, cause you do have to think about, let's face it, um, some shows will run 10 years, 15 years, not everyone, but you have to think about that as every time you program that, that show is going to be sitting and they have to replicate it. And it has to be, you know, it's going to be seen hopefully a long period of time. Um, so we try to, you know, we try to push um, new the newest stuff. I, you know, the designer comes to me and will say, well, what do, you, what do you think of this fixture or that fixture? I, you know, whenever possible, we always try to get the newest. Because you want, I said to we, them, we don't want, you don't want 10-year-old technology because what happens if it runs 10 years? Now you've got 20-year-old technology. And that comes down from, to, from all the gear, from the consoles th- through to the fixtures. You know, I had a show where they were like, we wanted to put a... And no one was using, it. at that point, the Hog 2 was still around, but everyone had moved on to MA. They wanted to put a Hog 2 on. I'm like, and I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this is, this is, if you want this show to, and if the show runs, this, this console is not designed, you know, it's, it's past its shelf life. You know, I'm like, I, I'll do it, I'll program it, but I'm like, this is really not a good idea.
0: Yeah, you're not going to be able to get parts. For, you know, like, your, your vendor is going to say, yeah, we can't replace yeah, any there, of Yeah, there were shows
1: that had three or four consoles available to it at any time because it,
0: it reached their shelf life, you know. So tell me about some of your favorite projects. Like, what's been... Like, even just from the last, uh, you know, 12, 24 months.
1: I had a great year. That last year, I have to say, was was, was a really exciting year. I mean, between the off-Broadway Hamilton and, and, and the, the Broadway run, um, on your feet... Spring Awakening. I was very excited about all three of those shows. Unfortunately, Spring Awakening was only a short term. It was only ever meant to run, but there was a beautiful, I thought a beautiful production, the Deaf West production that they did. Um, it was, I think it was a very, that was a great show. Um, and know your feet still running in it. I think that's, an, again, we're very proud of the way that looks. And then a completely different, again, to, to the style to Hamilton, which is a completely different style again. So that, that was three different to me, three different styles. Um, and um, I'm, I'm proud of you know all three of those. Um, and then had a good, you know, they're still doing uh, the out of town with um, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon um, stuff when he goes out of town. I've been programming that, and that's great because it's. It, yes, know, we had Fred on the show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was a great team. You know, Fred's great. The whole team was great. We, um, we have, a, you know, we have a good time out there, and we get to do some some fun music stuff.
0: When you see other other folks out in the world, what do you wish other programmers understood? Like, what do you wish you could say to them?
1: Early on, um, one of I think I just met Howell. Um, he was like, "Well, what shows have you seen?" And I'm like, well, I "Only really what I've done." And he's like, "No, you have to, you have to see, you have to see everything." And I think that was a great piece of advice. I do try, I i am not that I'm successful, but I do try to go out and see more. Um, because yeah, I think that is important. It is important to see what everyone else is doing and what, what, what else is out there. Um, a lot of I have had programmers call me and say, well, well what should I do? Uh, I've been offered this gig, blah, blah, but the money's, the money's not good or the money you know and I'm like, well, do you have a relationship with the designer? If, if you it's a, want a
0: relationship with the designer. Exactly.
1: Do you, if you don't have a relationship and it's the first time, then you might want to take the less money to get the relationship. So, um, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, you, I didn't call you because I didn't think you'd be interested in an off-Broadway show. Well, I'm like, I'm like, why wouldn't I want to do it? Why wouldn't I want to do that? You know, you'd be, I think, foolish not to take sometimes... The, it, that was how I did have, You know, I was like, I would never have had the pleasure of working on Hamilton if that was the case, because the the, the public certainly didn't pay Broadway rate. Right? They were paying their off Broadway. That's what it was. I'm like, okay, I have a relationship. I'm not doing anything. If I'm not sitting at home, and I have a design and I have a relationship with the designer, he calls and says, you know, I'm gonna, I want you to do that. Can you do this? Why not say yes? Why not say yes? I mean, and that was, that was a yes that I'm, that I'm very, you know, I'm very thankful for saying yes to (laughs) because it was such a great experience. Um, And uh, so it's, yeah, the whole negotiation um, is not an easy thing. I'm, I'm not good at it. Um, I wish I was better at it. I believe we, a lot of us in this industry from as artists, Get taken advantage of they they know that that's what we love doing what we do and they will be like well can you do it uh, have a great story it was typical you know where they're like well can you do it can you do this for this much you know can you do it as a favor that's always one of my favorites yeah. we, need, we need a favor <laughs> the number of times the favor thing comes back and bites you is unbelievable it's just so true and uh, you know what i mean because then they'll be like because then they'll be like well the next the next time the management don't they, they don't put that in their book this is the favor rate. Right? no you know what i mean they just know oh this this guy did this show for this much money so then the next time they want to hire somebody they really look at the, the line and they go oh well look david arch did it for this much money why aren't you why aren't you you know the, the number of times that we as programmers get traded off like that of in the past this is amazing they'll be like oh well such and such did it, this for this much money you know what i mean well well, good for them, <laughs> <laughs> right? Because, and Ken Posner recently said this, well, you can't say this, this is what I want David Arch. David Arch has been, you know, yeah, I have, I'm bringing to the table 30 years of experience. You could go out and yes, we can, I could use this guy that you were recommending at 25, you know what I mean? Five years, you're just out of college and how are you equating the two? You know they're saying well the programmer rate is this much money at what level are we talking about now, you know there is no distinction unfortunately between for management they just see programmer they don't go oh oh this guy is completely different to this guy this level of pro you know what i mean there do you understand where i'm coming from there's yeah. a level of artistry if i, I don't want to sound hoity-toity about it but that some of these guys some of us are going to bring to the table and some aren't so I don't think it's fair that you can blanket blanket go, oh, the programmer rate is this. For this guy, yes. But don't you think this guy is worth this much money? I mean, look at what he's done. There's a whole world of discussion, I think, when it comes to management and, and negotiating that could be taught. You know what I mean? Like, they don't teach that at school. That's for sure. No one, we don't come into that. Unfortunately, it's a large part of what we do. Before we can get on the plane. You know what I mean? That the contracts have to be signed from per DM to and if you don't know what you're kind of what you're getting yourself in for, you're going to get taken advantage of. And so I, I think um, that's that's just recently I talked with a bunch of, I think it was third year NYU students, and there was a whole discussion about this idea of what, what does a program. And I'm like, and I said to them, well, it's you know it is more than button pushing. I believe that you you can be taught how to push the buttons, but as as an as an education system, there is a lot of other stuff that you don't cover, that you're sending these kids out, and they have no idea. They have no idea. You know, all they see maybe is they go, oh look, this guy got this much money for, you know, wow, great, I can go out and be a programmer. I can make this much this much money. I'm like, well, no.
0: So uh, you know, as we sort of wind yeah. down here, what, what's the, what's the current scorecard? Where where can people see your work on TV? On stage, and maybe coming up.
1: Uh, what's coming up? Um, coming up, uh, uh, Tuck Everlasting on Broadway. Uh-huh. Uh, War Warpaint in Chicago. I'm not sure what what happens after that, to tell you the truth. But um, yeah, TV wise, I mean, you know, there's the the Fallon in, in, in LA, which which was a lot of fun to do. We did a week of sh- shows out there. Occasional SNL, Saturday Night Live, um, music stuff. That I'm doing um, which is always a lot of fun I have to say I do enjoy doing that it's always a challenge um, and there's nothing like doing live live and I have to say no one else they call it live TV but that is live TV I must say that doesn't happen very often I mean all the other those TV shows they live from well yeah well kind of yeah, there's a live studio audience in them yes but, but Saturday and alive truly live and there's there's there is nothing like that i'm trying to think what other shows go live live there is some probably some other um i know some of the uh, award obviously award shows go live live there is nothing quite like doing live tv in that That's respect true. you know you have one shot at it
0: yeah i would say the difference is that you know the majority of live live things aren't once a week you know they're yeah. a special they're a special event right. or they're part of another show or they're you know something unusual it's it's really one of the only ones that just does it on a like clockwork
1: i've been doing it so long
0: all right yeah. any uh any final thoughts any you know where can people learn more about you
1: any final thoughts i mean i would say um anybody interested in programming i think you just have to get out as one you should do it it's a it's a rewarding career choice um that can take you many many places all over the world i think say don't get don't get pigeonholed Uh, there is absolutely no reason to get pigeonholed do try it all try the rock and roll try theater try live music try live tv try let's face it there's so much there's so many choices out there now there's the there's the the guys that do all the gospel the, the churches the I mean, there's the cruise ships, there's industrials, there's, I mean, there's so many markets out there and they all require somebody to sit behind the console and program. So if you're interested in a career as a programmer, I would say just grab, if you get the opportunity, just grab the reins and do it and try it. You might go, you know what, that's not, not for me that, but then try something else. You know, maybe the live music is for you. You know, if they, I would say, as a as a twenty something, there is there is no greater, greater job than being able to be getting paid to see the world. I mean, it was a wonderful thing that I that I you know I spent twenty years traveling the world and uh, and you 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 can't ask for a better education, than mm. than that and getting and getting paid to do it. You know, so I would say, if you're interested, it's a, it's definitely worthwhile, and I'm I'm been doing it for nearly as long as there's not too many that have been doing it much longer um, so I, and, I'm, and I'm very happy and I've uh, had a successful career so I, I'm very grateful
0: alright David thank you so hey, you're so welcome. much it was
1: a lot of fun you know there's um, it's a lot of stuff to, to cover alright well thanks, thanks very much yeah, my pleasure
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of the Casting Light Podcast visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com You can use the contact form there to let us know what you think. And you can find all of our previous episodes there. We're also on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast and on Twitter at Podcasting Light. Our theme music is Color Me Dead by the Lame Drivers. You can learn more about them at lamedrivers.com. The Casting Light Podcast is a production of Casting Light Incorporated. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Thanks for downloading and have a good show
1: so come to.